Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. Works to hit record. Mm. Just so you know. Yeah. I mean, it's science, and it's kind of hard to put it together, <laughs> but record is a good thing. Um, how you doing, guys? Um, we're back with a little bit of um, Beer Massive podcasting. Hopeful goodness. Oh, it should be goodness because we're in a little bit of a cheesy, funky room, and that always means a good, uh, good things are coming. We're actually down in. We're in Philly proper. Are we mm-hmm. like Philly? Yeah. What what portion? North, south, east, west. This is uh, kind of like north eastern ish Philly, but I mean it's pretty close to Center City. It's an area called West Kensington. And we are at. Is it fermentary form or fermentary form? I usually say fermentary form, okay. but that's just me. <laughs> fermentary form, um, basically uh, a very interesting um, wild beer producer. We're going to get in all that plus more, but uh, I want to welcome Ethan Tripp. Thank you. To the show. Uh, what's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Um, just uh, just trying to keep things moving along here. We make uh, slow beer for the most part, so it's always a game of teasing it out <laughs> slow beer but in a semi kind of fast way though sure sure yeah so there's two sides to our production really one is the slower side which we kind of loosely refer to as farmhouse ales um and that would be kind of looking more at a you know historical definition of farmhouse ale um and those are uh fermented to dryness um in stainless in Anywhere from three weeks to six weeks. Um, and then we have uh, the other side, which is um, this beautiful stack of barrels right here, um, which we don't even really look at until they're about six months old. And we're looking forward to when we have some that are, you know, three years old. So um, that's definitely a, a longer term project. And that's probably what, I mean, not that uh, for most people, it's kind of like, do you actually use the word the Solera method when it comes to what you do for those I, kind I of racks? Do, I years? do. Um, because you guys are way more traditional in a sense than what a lot of other people do, correct? Sure. Yes, yes. Um, we, we, we do have multiple vessels that um, comprise the Solera as opposed to um, there's a, a method where you're just sort of taking a portion of a large vessel and replacing it. Um, we actually have a stack of barrels where we're, continuously moving beer down so the the oldest stuff is on the bottom and we try to keep that consistent where if we take anything from the bottom we're moving moving the upper levels down to replace it so it's getting replaced also with relatively old beer um we we want to make sure that our our sort of stock of age is in an area that's 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 untainted by anything any younger we you know we want it to get to that that nice mature uh, place, uh, so we're constantly looking to preserve that in any way that we can. So you want to, you want the old to um, stay itself while affecting the new, essentially. Yeah. So the the old beer is is sort of teaching the new beer how to be the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I have a firm belief that um, a lot of what happens in these kind of long aged uh, wild beers um, happens in this interaction between. Um, wood and beer so wood storing microbes but mm-hmm. also um in, in in our case whatever old beer is still in the cask um generally here we're only taking uh at the max half of any given barrel um because we don't want to disturb uh the culture that's in there too much we, we if, if we have something good going there um we're gonna put uh slightly younger beer in there to keep it trending in that nice in that nice way and, and it's it's really interesting the older beer does tend to win. You know, when you mix them initially, it'll taste like a blend and you taste it three or six months later. I don't know, maybe it's just my opinion or, or I'm, I'm having some confirmation bias, but it <laughs> seems like the old beer does a lot of teaching in that time. <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like if you think about beer as an organic thing, whether it be, um, you know, uh, beer or humans or whatever, usually, you know, there's wisdom and age, you know, not mm-hmm. that all, all old things are 
are smart. You know what I mean? There's a lot of dumb old shit out there. Do you know what I mean? But, sure, sure. Um, it kind of makes sense in, in that aspect. Um, before we get too far ahead, sure. because I think there might be a little bit of learning curve uh, for all this when it comes to people out there listening. Because, you know, some people are, you know, kind of uh, wild beer kind of centric junkies, but other people are a little bit more kind of basic. So let's roll it back a little bit. And how do you get to this point? Let's start from the beginning. You're, you lit, you're in Philly. You're doing your thing. Was there a, a homebrewing kind of thing going on? Because I don't even know if you would call yourself a brewer more than a kind of blender or... Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't like the, the term brewer too much for myself. I feel like um, it's misleading. But um, to, to just kind of scroll back to, to the start, and I'll, I'll try to make this as cliff notesy as I can. <laughs> but obviously growing up in Philadelphia, big beer city... Mm-hmm. Um, huge influence uh, from from Europe, specifically Belgium. Um, when I first started going out and drinking beers in bars, the most exciting places to go and hang out were places that served European beer. Mm-hmm. That was that was the trend before there was so much focus on local and um, so much focus on um, national brands. Um, and so, me and the guys who started this place, we all cut our teeth on Belgian and German classics. And um, that was really what got me a taste for beer. I, I I grew up different than probably a lot of people. I didn't have that phase of like stealing like Miller Lights or whatever out of my old man's <laughs> fridge. Um, I pretty much started out, uh, well, with Yingling, of course. Oh, you're in PA. <laughs> um, That's kind of like the law. But uh, but quickly after that, yeah, getting into, you know, your... Um, Anyway, anywhere from your like Einger, Doppelbach to one of my favorite beers of all time. Yeah, to your Lachouf and you know uh, Malur and whatever else you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so um, grew an interest in beer really quickly. Had a friend at a at a job. My background's in graphic design, um, and uh, he knew I was into beer. Laid uh, the complete joy of homebrewing on me. I had no idea you could do this stuff in your house. Um, I took to it pretty much like, you know, something flammable on fire. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, got really into it really quick. Um, Did you buy the Mr. Beer kit? No, but I actually started with one. Okay. Um, <laughs> I found one. I forget how, um, but it was, you know, really low barrier to entry. So I'm like, okay, well, I have this vessel now. Mm-hmm. It supposedly makes beer. Um, so I built the smallest. I didn't want to, like, do extract because... I Googled around enough to like, it just was clear to me. Everyone was saying, Oh, you know, the, the all grains better. So I built the tiniest all grain system of all time. It made two and a half gallons of like a 5% beer. <laughs> nice. It was a terrible idea. Um, and, uh, after doing a couple of beers on that, um, and doing the kind of drinking we were doing out in the city, um, sours being a big thing or starting to get into like a lot of this wild stuff with, with sort of, um, Petrus and, um, you know, we were, we were getting um, Russian River stuff. Um, that seemed to be a big trend. And we were all sort of uh, really getting into that stuff and discovering this whole wild side. That just kind of captivated my imagination. And I was, I think I was only like two or three regular beers in before I was like, I want to start a barrel thing of some kind. Like, I want to make, <laughs> I, like, this stuff is so fascinating like i want to make this i took my first steps now i want to run a marathon exactly yeah um so i went out and bought um my first barrel and started a solera this is going on 10 years ago okay and um that was the first of many um and that one's actually still in my basement and still producing some pretty damn fine beer Wait a minute. When, like, how do you think of doing, a, like, a real Solera method? Because, I mean, for most people out there, it, it, like, even a lot of breweries will say, oh, this is a Solera method beer, but they're just taking old and putting it new and then mixing them in a the bottle and serving them out. When, where did you hear of it? Where, did you have somebody that was into, like, so brandy just, or some kind of spirit? I discovered that you it actually from uh, the Mad Fermentationist blog. Okay. Um, I was obviously concerned with like, you know, I want to use wood, I want to get a barrel, but like, you know, the idea of putting something in there and then waiting a year and taking it all out and then putting something new in, um, it just seemed like more than I was capable of. And I was interested in this idea of taking out a portion and replacing it. And when I found his blog post on it, I was like, oh, you know, like 
I could do that, you know, like we, I, I had access to a 15 gallon um, bourbon barrel and I'm like, well, you know, like it's not good for like Lambic or something like that, but I bet a bourbon aged Flanders would be great. <laughs> so I, I spent a weekend brewing and filling that thing and I did a five gallon pull from it every six months for about eight years. Jeez. Um, and uh, it, I mean, I changed some things to the recipe over time. Um, my hopping rates probably were lower than they should have been. Um, so it got like a bit too acidic. It never went acetic, but it was, it was very, very tart. A um, mm -hmm. lot of lacto. Um, but it continued to produce a really great beer for me. And I, I modified the way I worked with it um, over time to incorporate more blending. Because um, we were... Um, taking beer out and packaging it and then replacing with fresh, uh, well, it was fermented with like SO5. We do like a batch and ferment it with SO5 and then put it in there. But I started actually blending the replacement batch with stuff out of the barrel at a certain point and then letting that mature on its own and then packaging that. So we did some playing around with the format. But it was this loose kind of like single vessel Solera thing and we just sort of played with different ways of doing it. Um, now you you're doing that that's you said just about 10 years ago and then you're moving forward uh, several years just kind of tweaking that tweaking that well we started a bunch more solar so that one started a <laughs> full 60 gallon one that was supposed to be a more lambic style beer but um we weren't using aged hops at the time we were following more of an american sort of sour beer uh thing and that ran for a long time and and made a lot of great stuff but um ultimately it wasn't really what we were looking for and uh, I definitely got the bug of like being just really sort of obsessed with what Lambic was and wanting to make something similar. And when we realized after a few years that that wasn't ever going to get to that level of complexity, um, I started looking in other directions and um, yada, yada, yada. I got like six of my friends together to buy three full-size wine barrels, put them in my partner Scott's basement, and... Um, then actually like get closer to some kind of process approximating lambic the biggest thing for us being like the use of pretty much exclusively um aged hops and a lot of them um if you you can look up and find uh like jean benoit's hopping rates from cantillon and mm -hmm. most people don't believe them when they read them because of how much you have to use with so, the aged hops. there's so much um and and it really does pay off if you do the initial beer would be incredibly bitter but it didn't mellow us beautifully over time and that's where you get the complexity from so we um we still do that actually <laughs> we still have those three barrels um and that became kind of a testing ground for this place so initially the idea with this place was well we've done this successfully in this basement with three barrels we could probably grow that to many more and we'd have more options. We could do better blending and, and whatever. So we started looking around for a place to essentially just do that. Um, somewhere along the way, uh, well, I mean, I would say my interest grew. I got, I, I, I had some um, sort of wild beers that were not long aged, that were just mixed fermentation and they were, they were packaged younger. I mean, some of them I've been drinking for a while, like, like, a, um, Jolly Pumpkin was a huge mm -hmm. influence. Um, you know, a lot of those beers are not aged for a terribly long time. They're just mixed fermentation. If you get fresh ones, sometimes they're only just a little bit tart, and they sort of grow in complexity over time. And I really liked that. So I figured, you know, with a system like this, where you're talking about, like, the first beer doesn't come out for a year, um, we're going to have a hard time. So I started saying, well, you know, I really like these kind of shorter mixed fermentation beers, mm -hmm. too. I should start playing around with that. So I started playing with like a bunch of the cultures we already had. Um, we ended up after a bunch of deviations, kind of going back to an, my original house culture that was in the original barrel. Um, so like an original like eight, ten year, yeah, culture that you're yeah. just like, okay, we're gonna go. I ended up this. harvesting it from old bottles, like a bunch of old bottles, <laughs> and building it back up because I didn't have it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I tried a bunch of commercial stuff. I tried all kinds of things. And, and uh, yeah, at the end of the day, um, a blend of some, uh, you know, because I needed some, I needed some stronger, um, you know, sack yeast in there to do a strong primary fermentation for those kind of beers. Whereas like the Lambic kind of stuff, you want it to suffer. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I got a couple sort of Saison farmhouse strains and a couple classic Belgian strains and blended them and then added our mixed culture to that. And then that became the big mixed culture that does all the sort of farmhouse style beers that we do. Um, so you settled in on that one kind of final culture and now that's what you do for your quick turnaround? That's, like, that's everything, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's everything. And then I started, then I experimented for a year at home um, basically making like two five-gallon batches a week and bottling all of it in 750s and, um, you know, it's all bottle conditioned and just playing around with like attenuation, recipes, bottle conditioning, yeast and sugar rates, um, you know, uh, deep diving, just getting, just, just, just do it, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. And, um, once we settled on this place and we got in here, I was just about settled with the whole regimen. It kind of came together at the last minute. But was there a pressure? Did you know you were coming to here and you felt a pressure to get it to where you wanted it to be, or is it all organic? Is it like no? There's absolutely pressure. Um, I I um I forget exactly when we signed on this place, but we were in way too early, and the place was really ragged, and we had a lot of work to do. So. In between running back and forth here and and dealing with contractors and a hellish landlord and and all that kind of stuff, um, I was just constantly running beer at home. And I mean, sometimes I would just do um, loose extract recipes just so I'd have something to bottle condition because it was bottle conditioning was the thing that was like I have to nail that. Yeah, you know, and. I still feel like it's going to be like a lifelong learning process, you know? Well, it should be. If yeah. it's not, if you kind of go, okay, I'm, it's perfect, and just stop. At no, that point. I mean, beer, d- different um, beer densities behave differently. It's not just the numbers. Like, the numbers are a, a sort of starting point. But, um, yeah, different different beers just behave differently with the same kind of conditioning and the same amounts. And, and, well, and the same beer from time to time everything's gonna be different it's not like you can duplicate you can try to duplicate you can get as close as you want things to be but there's always going to be variants because of age and temperature and time and all Absolutely. those kind of things and coming out of a barrel with a beer that's like 100 percent still um versus something that's just finished fermenting is totally different um um yeah there, there's a there's a big difference there um it, it's it's always a it's always a learning thing, you know. Um, uh, even even um, our our regular batches of um, our sort of farmhouse line, um, they'll have different attitudes. And so when when I approach them for bottle conditioning, often I'll have to, you know wing it a little bit you know <laughs> where it's just like this one feels more like this i just have a feeling i should just duck the sugar a little bit you know and you more know, times than not it works yeah yeah i mean there's this i mean there's some that i haven't hit as well but generally speaking it's like if i have a feeling about something like we were we were doing one and i forget which one it was but we we're getting ready to pour the sugar and yeast mixture in and i think i think matt was actually pouring it and i was just like you know what just reserve half a gallon and, and he did and i was nervous about it but then it was the bottle came out perfect so i was like okay i had the right inkling <laughs> you know like maybe that wouldn't have been too much but i just felt like something was off and i had to resolve it mentally to you, you just you, you just think this way when you do like this sort of thing over and over and over again i mean you kind of have to there's i mean there's a there's there's a a division or not a division there's a kind of a balance between you know art and science when it comes to beer in general you know what i mean and and i think these kind of beers definitely fall into the realm of a little bit more for art art it's still science but there's there's a feel to it you know and you and you just can't be as rigid you just can't be as well i don't mind yeah i mean i don't mind you saying art more than science that's fine to me i mean everything that we do here is pretty much organoleptic like um you know i take final gravity readings but i don't take phs um everything all the judgments are made by taste we don't have any sophisticated equipment here um it's it's just uh 
this whole place is designed to do like essentially one thing and to do it in the simplest way possible. And that's, I mean, a lot of the beers that you talked about when you you're talking about being in the Belgian beers and eventually getting into kind of the kind of more sour, funky beers from over in Europe. I mean, they didn't have refractometers when they started making exactly, these yeah. beers. You exactly. know, it's like it's you have to be able to do it. You should be able to do it in a way without having all these kind of tools. And they're fine to use to kind of double check yourself every now and then, sure. but in order to live with them. Now, as far as the brewing portion of the show, did you? Um, did like homebrew from the get? Like, did you go anywhere and work on any bigger systems? Or no, anything I, like that? I I only ever really homebrewed. Um, I think like I don't know. I was a it's like a somewhat nerdy homebrewer though. I mean, I I did try. I always try to make things a little bit better every time, and um, you know, just look for anything that you could that you could improve um, along the way. And so, I mean, I got into. I went for years without adjusting pH at all and realized at some point that that was a, a mistake. Like earlier on, I was very much like, you know, rustic, like let whatever happens. Mm. Oh, you know, my like temperature's off here. Who cares? Blinders you know? on. It's romantic. Yeah, it was like, all, yeah, it was exactly. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, now um, we do have spe- very specific targets that we're trying to hit. So and in, in, like at this point now, you're 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 having more brewed somewhere else and you're bringing it in so i go over it? to um saint benjamin um they're our, our brewing partner okay and um i go over there for all of the brews and um basically help in any way i can um but their um assistant brewer josh does most of the batches and um essentially i'm just there if he has like some kind of process question are you are you tweaking just the base on different? Are you working with one singular kind of base with all your beers, or so the barrels are a single recipe? Okay, and that's essentially a lambic style beer, um, and we do vary it quite a bit. Um, uh, not 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 widely, but often. So you know, different hops, slightly different hopping rates, slightly different gravities. Um, some of that happens on its own. But a lot of it is just playing and seeing, you know, what the difference in the cask is going to be. Because we have a small amount of barrels and I want a palate to work with. Um, you know, luckily the barrels all kind of give something of their own anyway. Mm-hmm. I was just tasting a bunch the other day and two right next to each other from the same batch just couldn't have been more different. <laughs> you know, and it's, who knows why? Like, I have no idea. But um, it's nice to to have that. Um, but... So generally speaking, that one is its own thing. Um, the stuff we sort of loosely called call farmhouse sales, those are all individual recipes, and those are sort of purpose-built for a specific taste profile I'm trying to target. Because you're, you're not letting the barrel, you're not letting the mixed fermentation do as much work because they're shorter, and you want to impart a little bit different kind of vibe on the beer itself. It's a, by, sort of a, it's a different... Um, it's a different attitude. Like the, the barrel beers are built for a target some time out. They're built um, to sort of, I don't know, suffer through a slow fermentation. And we're looking for, it's a much more loose impressionistic kind of thing. Whereas the, the farmhouse sales, um, I'm looking for usually a very specific thing. And we're doing the best we can to hit that target. Now, from the culture side of things, has it all been calculated? Like what you've gotten, you've gotten from whether it be beers or from other sources, no kind of spontaneous or kind of wild cultures. Have you messed with that or? Um, there are some foraged elements in, in our culture. Um, but I would say most of it consists of, um, well, the first the first thing that we used for souring ever was um, one of the blends from East Coast East. Um, shout out to Al Buck, who does great work. Um, <laughs> but uh, and that's still the thing we're using. That's the that's the original one. Um, but of course, throughout the years, was added to that um, many many different dregs from various bottles that we liked. One of the things that I used to love to do, I haven't done it much recently, but when we'd have um, bottle shares amongst our friend group. We, all, all, all these guys are all into like sour beers. And yeah. So there'd always be lots of stuff. And so I would make up something that we started to call the bug jar, 
which is just like a pint ball jar that I would I would have ready with sterile wort, about like you know halfway full, and I'd bring that to the share. And whenever we had a, a this is great, yeah, it goes in there, <laughs> right? And so at the end of the night, you know, maybe there's ten different beers in there. And that jar just goes home with whoever's gonna like brew the soonest. So it just like goes home with a different person. And like one, there's one of those that's out there that's still going, um, that's producing great beer. And you know, I, I've brewed with a bunch of them, and you know, it's it's always a fun thing to do. But a lot of that wound up getting folded back into our house mix culture. So you you take this kind of mad scientist kind of mentality and you decide to open this place. You said you kind of got into it a little bit too soon, um, but you know you sign the paper you have to produce beer. When you're dealing on the beer's timeline, not your timeline, how do you balance that between like oh, we have to pay for this place? Is is it is it? How do you sleep, or is it a matter of it's just you know it's going to come and you just wait it out and it'll eventually you know work itself out? Like are you are you a stressor? Is it, is it, is oh, no, it I mean, that... I definitely stress out about it. Like, like I, I, um, yeah, sleep's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> I get less of it these days for sure. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, we didn't really take on any debt. Um, we started with a definitive plan. We, there were delays. Um, we were able to get some time out of the landlord because of delays he caused us. So we didn't have to pay as much as we thought we, you know, we, we could have paid. Um, but you know, there was definitely like some periods of just taking money out of the savings and shoving it into this, what could be a money pit. Um, what are you going to do? You've come as far as you've come. You have to see another day. And then once things got rolling here, um, I think we got very lucky in that, um, word's gotten out quick and the reception's been great. And so now it's more of a thing of struggling to keep up. Let's talk about that. I mean, Philly, like you said, like I, I I pretty much grew up in beer up in Northeastern Pennsylvania and, and like you got, I got into beer through the Belgian door. That's kind of how I got into beer uh, when I was younger. And we've always been lucky with the amount of kind of Belgian stuff and and those kind of things. And Philly, I think has been, part and parcel of that for a while but with the new beer culture and the way kind of people geek out over beer it's, it's a very kind of you know pastry stout hazy hoppy thing that everybody geeks sure. over nothing wrong with that but um uh, how has philly embraced you as like as this style of beer producer you know it, it seems like it's something that people are getting graduating to the, the baby pallets that are people who are just getting into beer starting to like the stuff more has it been like a slow burn or is it kind of like people just jumped in and embraced you from the get um well it took a while for the word to get out i mean well you when, know, you, when you're down a back alley that has no way out and there's just the green light you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i mean just due to the strange place we're in um we sort of embraced it and um the green light is actually a uh, fond reference to chicherias, which historically would put out a bundle of roses when they had chicha. And uh, as times got thin, moved on to um, basically a bundle of like red plastic bags at the end of a broom handle. Um, this is a story I've heard, but I like the idea of like, there's just some kind of signal. and. So, I mean, in this situation, it's so far from what anyone would expect of where you're going to find a brewery that, like, putting out the typical signs doesn't work. No. You have to do something else. So we, we, felt, we felt like we might as well embrace the obscurity and uh, just keep it simple, you know? Um, I get the vibe that it's almost like a place you want people to be, like, as opposed to someone randomly stumbling in, too. You want people to purposefully well, come, so that's, come that, here. And that's, that, that, that's, yeah, I think there's an intentionality there, which is we, we want people to be here on purpose. Yeah. Um, and so, like, we have people who come here uh, all the time now who uh, came once or twice and couldn't find it. <laughs> you know? No, and, even when we spoke, you were like, oh, if you need help finding a place, let me know. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. It, it happens often. 
the the funny thing to me though is that if you actually put it into Google Maps and you actually it follow shows you their, exactly where it, shows it is exactly where it is. I pulled down in the alley actually. I'm like, I don't think I could drive down here. I'm like, oh. and yet yet we can't get anyone in our delivery area to bring us food without like a, a whole rigmarole. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so yeah, there's a bit of embracing obscurity. Um, I think uh, back to your sort of larger question. Um, we just figured we would do what we want to do and we know how fanatical we are. I sort of picture if there's other me's out there, they're going to be just as fanatical. And if something like this shows up in their area, they're going to have to get there because it's just what you do when you're a fanatic for a certain kind of thing. So I sort of felt that if we, if we focused and we just made, like I said, broadly speaking, one thing that either people would respect it outright because they they know what it takes to do that um they would accept it because they understand that um it can be a necessity um or they would just find their way around to it because they're beer lovers and anyone who's crazy enough to do one thing that's relatively um idiosyncratic there might be something there worth looking into. Um, now, we're, you just poured this. This is what your one. Is this one of your kind of original OG beers, or is it just one of your favorite ones? I'm just curious about it because everything I've seen from you guys is very. You're going green bottle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. You're going like old school styling. Yep. Like which one's this one? So that's formation. Um, that's a really exciting one for us. So going back to the whole sort of story of. Um, making a kind of like lambic style beer and having it be the sort of like mission of us and some of our homebrew friends, you know, uh, being big sort of Belgian uh, sour beer fans, um, getting to the point where you can make something that, you know, at least <laughs> approximates what, what you sort of idolize in those beers. Um, that's been a, it's been a thing with us for a long time. And so, like I said, this barrel stack here, that's all a Lambic-style beer that's brewed to be blended. And so this is the first blend that we did where we didn't add anything. There's no fruit. There's nothing. It's just bottle conditions. It's straight out of the barrel. Um, and uh, we're really proud of it. I think um, especially the the nose, um, if you're a goose fiend, um, <laughs> it has a lot of the esters and phenolics that you'll be familiar with and to us it's a huge it's a huge um sort of step in the right direction we feel like we're we're um we're doing what we set out to do um i don't want to recreate lambic or lambic culture in the states I was going to ask about that. How do you separate yourself from like the method tradition? Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like trying to be your own thing. I mean, you can embrace tradition, but do your own thing. I mean, I, th- I think uh, traditions are useful only in so much as they're actually useful. Um, there are really bad old ideas. Mm-hmm. We kind of started off with that. Yeah, we, we did. Um, they're really bad old ideas, and I'm. I'm not going to proselytize about which ones they are, but um, you can go in that way to have those words to say, and that's fine. I have a lot of respect for some of the people who are are trying to be very traditional in the States, and and some of them make very, very wonderful products. Um, That's just not me. Um, I like... I'm looking for certain flavors, and... I don't care if tradition gets me there or doing something radically different gets me there. I'm looking for a, a taste. There's there's authentic. There's a difference between authenticity and traditional. There's, you know what I mean? Like not authentic isn't a, 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 like a well, carbon copy. It's it, it's it's being true to yourself about well, what's what you more, make. I mean, there's 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 uh, not to be too political, but there's members of uh, Horal that don't have the taste. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's again that's very very political but and just because they're old and live somewhere they're allowed to be who they are yeah they can they can you know they can say it's lambic and yeah you know that's that's fine I 
it by by even saying this, it sounds like I care a lot. I really don't care that much. It's just like um, there's so much emphasis on certain words, and I I just uh, I want to stay out of it. Like I'm I don't care about words. I care about taste. That's really it. Makes sense to me, man. You know, and, and I get it. Do you know what I mean? Because there is. I don't know how to put it. There's, and you, you said it, and like we just said, we started off with. There's so much. Just because it's old doesn't make it good. But just because it's new and fancy doesn't make it good either. It has to be good to to the person who's doing it and the person that's drinking it. It's Absolutely. all subjective, and it's all up to the person who's actually consuming whatnot. But um, there's a lot of traditional elements in what you're doing, and and that's and that's cool. While at the same time, you're not being like, okay, we're trying to duplicate or be a facsimile of what everybody else is doing. Um. Now, oh, man, I lost my train of thought there. I had a thought. I had a really good it sounded like kind a really of question. Good point. Yeah, I'm getting somewhere on it. Um. So you come to Philly, you're doing your thing here. People are kind of uh, embracing what you're doing. How? What's the word I'm looking for? How do you... Mm, I don't even know what to say. Well, I think I think to just pick up from where I, I think you're kind of going, um, I think uh, there's certainly a culture that we've benefited from um, of people wanting to get out and try new things in their city. I mean, any major city has this. And Philly's just going crazy right now. And I think that the, um, you know, the Instagram thing has helped a lot. I mean, that's a, it's a big deal. Please, guys, don't ever change your algorithm. <laughs> um, but uh, It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to ruin everyone. Um, anyway, so it, it's, it's just, I think uh, we got, we, so we got out enough. I mean, there's, there's. We're in a Sheffy town too, and um, there are people who are really into just flavors. And I mean, wine's been a a big part of that conversation for a long time. But a lot of those people drink beer, and I think that there being this thing that felt like wine like beer mm-hmm. attracted some people. And um, like I said, it started out very small. And then we had an article written about us in one of the local kind of foodie mags. And that like basically tripled or quadrupled or something, the amount of people who come in here every time. And that, that really set it off. Because once it got there, you're sort of like, they're tickers, but they're not like beer tickers. They're like places to go and hang tickers. Mm-hmm sort of started coming around like they're they're sort of like influencer types i gotcha and um i feel like because of some of those people they've blasted us out by coming here so far but to a different group other to a than different the beer group nerd. to a different group it's not it's not um like when you like look around here on a busy night it's not all of your typical kind of like what you'd see at beer events mm-hmm. kind of people it's lots of different kinds of people and I think we got this weird, there's some confluence of like the Instagram thing, the weird location, this kind of like ticker culture of like going to cool places. There was some confluence there where we got in front of people who I just don't know if we'd ever gotten in front of any other way. And they come and they come all the time and they bring everyone they know and they tell everyone they know. And it just seems to continue to go. Um, and sure, I mean, there's the regular beer channels. Like, there's a lot of um, people I recognize from events that I go to and things like that. There's that, that crew is absolutely there, but there's another crew that's that's been been added to that that are um, just curious people who like to try things. And that's a good that's a good group of people to be around. To be yeah, no, they're fantastic. I mean, I love it because they they don't come with any of the beer baggage it's what you're talking about you just want to make things taste good and these people are looking for things to taste good really so that's all they're it, doing that's they all don't they're know looking. any like some of these people come here they know nothing they're stripping all the pomp off and all of the history that you like if like so if you knew some of the cues we're putting out we're obviously putting out style cues here mm-hmm. if you knew some of the cues we're putting out you would be like oh you know like i understand where they're going you know i know what this is going to be like etc cetera, etc cetera. um these are people who don't they can't read any of the signs um but they are here with the right kind of curiosity and open mind. And 
we actually get this really unique opportunity to kind of talk to them and 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 situate ourselves within w- what's going on right now. That's a super interesting angle to take on it, to be perfectly honest with you, because a lot of times when you talk about new breweries opening, especially when you're talking about a place like this where you are like in city proper, it's not like you're outside somewhere. And a lot of the breweries that are like more kind of urban set, they don't fuck around with these kind of beers until they get super established and they kind of, you know, it's cool and it's very romantic to mess with those beers and to cut your teeth on these kind of beers you almost feel like you need to kind of tag the nth degree super nerd because that's usually where it evolves to. It's the person, you know, gets into beer and then it gets into their certain style and they drum it to hell and eventually they graduate to the I'm going to buy all the Lambic in the world kind of guy. Sure, sure. But to tap into that different culture where it's just, it, 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 it's, it's being visceral. It's just, I just want to experience good and this is good. Well, it's got to be know- a unique angle. I don't know what all is going into making that happen right now. Like anything I say is just a wild guess, but I feel like there's a, a, a moment, at least for us, that's happening right now where we're getting to introduce people to this kind of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, those people are very open-minded and, um, just willing to interact and i think that that combination is is uh just fantastic it's it's gonna be simple though don't you think it's like you know you know there's always the hot girl or the hot guy in in middle school or high school that everybody's into um but then there's the there's the hot girl or guy that tries really hard mm-hmm. and while they're hot and you don't know any better you still into them but it's the one that's super hot and doesn't give a shit about it is the one that you really fall in love. Sure, is, sure. Is that, is that, I mean, that's the vibe you're talking about is where you give a shit, but you, 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 you want to make good stuff. But if you come, you come. If you don't come, you come. Enjoy yourself. If you don't like it, more power to you. But yeah, I mean, at the same it, time, we're not going to sweat it. it, it it's an attractive to, world to live in. Sure. We, we sort of have to be like that in a certain in a certain sense because, um, like I said, you know, we're sort of dedicated to making one thing, and it's um, it's – it's feast or famine, you know. I mean, you're, we're, we're not making anything to, to please anyone but ourselves, really. And um, I just think we're all of like an age and a mindset where we're just, we can't, um, we can't be bothered, you know. It's like either we're gonna do this thing and it's gonna work, or it's gonna fail and we're just not gonna do it anymore. And I think that that's where that kind of like f u vibe comes from it's just that like it's absolute and i think that that is attractive to certain people you know mm-hmm. um and that's 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 great and it's you know you know it's it's like it's not a few though it's like it's like um it's more of um i'm gonna be really honest with you not a dick Mm-hmm. Just really honest, and some people confuse that with being an asshole. Sure, sure, but, that, but that's just people who. But just... I'm being I'm being honest with you about what I like, yeah. though. Yeah, no, know? no, no. And so it's it's not like being honest with you about like, you know, hey man, you've got this flaw or something like that. It's, yeah, it's being honest with you in this way of like, hey, you know what? I think this thing is great, and maybe you'll think it's great too. And if you think it's great. Like maybe we should hang, yeah. You know, and that's really um, that's that's where I feel like it's like an an open accepting thing. Um, like we're just here to share uh, what we love with people, and that's really the whole. That's what this whole, that oh, this whole this tiny little tasting <laughs> area in here um, is is about sharing. I mean, that's that's a, you know, it's not a. While it is a tiny space and whatever, like there's a reason why there's no TV. There's a reason why there's communal games and stuff available mm-hmm. i'm gonna bring some of my beer books for home and things like that. like I, I just i want it to feel like someone's living room where you're coming and it's not just like you're going to some establishment and having a beer but you're coming to some place and you're having an experience with people who are open-minded and they want to share what they love with you a living room that smells like beautiful cheese <laughs> um how would you find this place like is it just a matter of you, you happenstance it was, craigslist yeah, yeah. 
yeah. just picked it and said, "Here we are." It took it took some there's serious. No, there's no there's no tie to the area, no lineage to this specific. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's literally just that um, uh, Fishtown Kensington has a big history with factories. Um, this is an all this is all a big industrial area going back years and years, and um, there's just lots of mixed use spaces available. Um, we saw a bunch of amazing stuff up here before we picked this place. In fact, there's some places I'm really sad I missed out on because there's some gorgeous old buildings up here. But, I mean, where we wound up, um, we've grown to love it. We've grown to, like, build our our sort of identity around it in a sense, you know? I mean, people, people love the sort of idiosyncratic... Um, you know, 200-year-old doors that you walk through <laughs> to get into a factory that's probably not even that old. Um, you know, um, we, we've, we've embraced it is what I'm saying, and, and, and we've built around it, and uh, I think it works for us. Um, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's 1,400 square feet, so it's not a lot of room to make beer in. No. But we, we do what we can. You're doing a good job of it so <laughs> far. Um, I've always been curious. What's it like uh, uh, for a relatively small scale operation like yourself? What's it like trying to source aged hops and the hops that you want like that? Oh, it's incredibly easy, actually. I, I would think so because everybody just it just you know. So the first the first hit I got was through a major hop seller, and um, the person on the phone who was trying to help me with my problem. Um, as I appeared to have one, uh, she she thought that I was actually complaining um, about like it, receiving. It was like, wait, you want these? It was kind of like no, she that. she she <laughs> thought I was complaining about a bad product. So I wound up on the phone with the lead of Hop Chemistry, and um, it just so happened that he was a big sort of like lambic nerd, and. Um, I chatted with him for a while and uh, found out that essentially he'd been stockpiling this stuff. He'd been moving old hops from warehouse to warehouse and trying to convince people not to destroy them because he felt like, one, he was studying them, mm-hmm. and he also felt like someone's going to want them at some point. Um, and I happened to be one of those guys. And I don't know, I think I bought like 400 pounds of hops off them that day. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a great conversation. And, and um, since then, um, I've gotten turned on to uh, some websites where people trade hops. And um, you can sort by uh, how cheap things are. And there's an amazing, the <laughs> there's an amazing correlation between old and cheap. Yep. Um, I just bought... Uh, Man, I don't even want to say how much. I just bought a lot of pounds of hops from Miller Coors, actually, um, because they get really great noble hops, and they get way too much of them. Is that what you lean towards on age? Do you want noble stuff? It has to be noble, yeah. 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 I'm I'm aging other stuff, but from what I can tell, as far as the the science is concerned, um, I could go into a whole thing, but there's, there's just... If you have any access to old noble hops, that's where you should go. It has something to do with um, you're starting out with almost equal alpha and beta acids, and the degradation as one is degrade as alpha is degrading, getting less bitter, beta is degrading, getting more bitter, and they sort of um, balance very evenly over time. Um, and if you're doing this kind of thing, you know why that's good. It's it's, it would just be, I, I shouldn't explain anymore. But, um, uh, yeah, you can find now um, people that make a lot of beer who have access to really high-quality um, noble hops, selling them. I'm buying hops at 26 cents a pound. So I, my, my biggest thing with aged hops right now is um, how do I stop myself from buying all of them? <laughs> That's a, I guess that's a good problem to have. It Eventually, is. might go away because there's places popping up here and there, all over the place, doing not the same thing that you're doing, but the similar yeah, I things. Know. Um, like when you started doing this, did you have a network of other people, like-minded people, that were doing the same thing you were doing on a level you wanted to do it? Was or was it more you open up and then eventually you're like people reach out or you reach out and be like, hey, 
we should uh, we should talk, or is it? Low? So when I start when I first started doing it, I felt relatively alone in it. Um, but the more um, like I'm a, I'm a big researcher, the more like I researched and the more I read, the more I found like minded people, and I've had the opportunity to visit a bunch of them. And um, there's a kind of a cadre of like minded brewers out there who you'll see um together often and um it's like you kind of know who they are <laughs> and they all kind of get into the same thing and uh i've had the opportunity of uh of talking to some of those people either in person or online and um they've all been incredibly generous um and that helped a lot just to to throw crazy ideas at people and get honest good feedback and some of these people who have tried some of the things that maybe popped into my mind on a commercial scale yeah. and seen them two years down the line. I mean, like, no, I know we tried that, <laughs> you know? Um, but there's gotta be some part of you going, well, he tried it, but I might be able to pull that off. Oh, sure. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's always some of that, but I, I think like, um, I found some of those, those people at the right time. And, um, I think, uh, as far as all the research and development I've been doing, they, they got me that last five yards a lot faster than if I would have been on my own five yards, probably more like 25 yards. Um, but it was like I was zeroing in on something and then um, had the opportunity to talk to some people who had been doing it for years and um, just really brought it home. Um, definitely solidified the things that needed to be solidified and kind of like put to the side things that we needed to just like put to the side and, um, immensely helpful. Um, it's, there's a, there's a great community. I, th I think the, the community of, uh, mixed fermentation brewers is just growing and growing and, um, it's a great thing. Speaking to other people's beers, um, when you're drinking and you're not drinking your own beer, yes. is there specific stuff you kind of gravitate towards? Are you, you still gravitate towards, you know, funky beers, lambic, stuff like that? Or do you kind of get off on other beers? Like, So I'm going to, I, I feel like I have to do this. Um, I, uh, so just to do the, the caveats, mm -hmm. um, I drink loads of, of lambic and French and Belgian farmhouse ales. And anyone who's nerdy about that stuff, all the ones you know, they're all mm -hmm. great. I drink as much of them as I can. It's all wonderful stuff. I mean, Monks is in our city, for heaven's mm -hmm. sake. Um, however, um, probably the largest other category of beer that I drink is IPA. I drink tons of IPA. I love IPA. I love all the fun New England hazy stuff. I don't have a problem with it at all. I know a lot of people do. I know probably people are just sick of hearing about it, I guess, but I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think that's a, that's a new frontier and people are trying things like crazy and they're having fun. And I know some people I think have basically figured it out. Um, there's some people out there who haven't figured it out. Um, but what else do we have right now? That's really new. Like, and I can almost hear people laughing in the background. No, it's new. Like yeah. bio, bio, trans, yeah. bio transformation is new, you know? And like, I'm not talking about adding flour to beers or any of the other crazy hobgoblin rumors you might've heard. <laughs> I'm talking about like, no one did like beers with only Whirlpool hops, you know, however many years yeah. ago. Um, when I started home brewing and, and tried to make like my first IPA, there's that smell when you put your nose in the bag and you're like, great, that's what my beer is going to be like. And then you make your beer and no. it's not anything <laughs> like that. And none are any, you know, none are, sorry, none of the commercial ones are like that either. You know, mm -hmm. they're bitter and there isn't as much aromatic as you would expect. And I feel like almost in the same arc as a lot of like culinary things are changing. And so in the food world, people for years have been trying to get closer and closer and closer to the ingredient. Now, if you're getting like a really amazing ingredient, why hide it? Yeah. Why put all this Showcase stuff against it, it right? Yeah. So like a lot of the, um, the great chefs and great restaurants of the world, 
they're trying to bring you some pure naked experience of a natural thing right in your face instead of heavy sauces and heavy manipulation mm -hmm. and all that old French stuff. Um, I feel like that's what's happening with that style. You may not like it now. You don't have to. But there is a community of research going on about using hops in a new way that gets closer to the essence of what that thing actually is. And, I mean, I taste some beers. I mean, I have really great ones. It is that experience of just like that face in the bag of fresh hops, yeah. a deep breath. It's it's a roller coaster, right? It's sex. It's visceral. It just it's, it just hits you. It's like okay. It's getting right down yeah. to the essence of the ingredient, and that's what I love about it. And yeah, they, like some of them have too much lactose, and they throw too much adjunct, and you know, um, yeah, sure, a lot of them like stale quick, or like there's small breweries that that don't have the means and they're packaging on who knows what and yeah. their beers are all oxidized in two days yeah i get it all all that and the bad stuff is bad right we can we can talk about that but the i i would never want to discourage someone of 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 really plumbing the depths of what's possible with an ingredient yeah. like so exploration is one of the most important things so i'm loving it yeah. i'm loving it and it's not that I love every single one I have, but I love that people are out there, you know, putting it on the line to get close to something that's truly an ex you know experience of that ingredient. Like that's great, you know. Um, no, that's awesome, dude. You know what I mean? A lot of people poo-poo on it no, just for the sake of it. It's easy to poo-poo on. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, if something's popular and that's what everybody loves, there's always going to be a big, huge section of sure, people yeah. want to shit on things for the sake of being an, that wrong kind of asshole instead of being the truthful kind of and asshole. I totally understand it. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, we, I'm, I even joke about it sometimes. Like, it's a whole, yeah. a whole thing. It's like you, you post a beer on Instagram that looks like orange juice. Everyone's going <laughs> to like it. Yeah, it's fine. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is something going on, mm -hmm. you know, and and all the, all, the, all the stuff people try to use to knock it down with, it's like, it cracks me up. It's like, you know, a, like short shelf life. It's like, yeah, let's let's talk about like um, traditional English cask ale. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about shelf life. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like, come on. It's it's those things are shelf life is a great concern, especially if you're a giant brewery. Um, but we're talking about taste, mm -hmm. and we don't have to have. The package problem solved to talk about taste you know like yeah, there's also the flip side of that where some people just live on the uh, the the outside the core of it like the um the packaging side of things where they're of how it looks and how it's dated it it, it, it if it's two weeks old it, it it's still good but some people think it's not good just mm. because it's two weeks old so there's there's both sides of the spectrum where it's like some beers do drop off quick no absolutely but, like, but there's there some people who are just look. obsessed with 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 freshness and and obsessed with the look and obsessed with all that kind of stuff, but they're I guess they're not the people that we're talking about. You know what I mean? It's not that there's not problems. Again, like I said, like yeah. there 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 are loads of problems with the haze craze. Yeah. There is, but like there's also loads of really really wonderful drinking experiences. Mm -hmm. I just think like like going back to being open minded. You should just you're like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to assume that everyone who's doing this is just trying to grab a buck. Yeah. Like, I want to actually assume the best in people and say, like, maybe people are excited, you know? Maybe they tasted something that blew their mind, and they're trying to figure out how to get back there. And maybe we should just let them. <laughs> Speak to that. What, 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 ex what excites you moving forward? Is there something that you think, a direction your beer is going to take, or a direction that what you do, the style of beer you do, or something even outside of that that you're excited for? Is it just a matter of keeping your head down? doing what you're doing and just making good beer in, in beer in general or, or like in, in what it, we're doing either anything um so i'm really uh -oh. excited about the um growth of of mixed fermentation beer i'm, I'm excited about mixed, mixed fermentation beer coming back um and and i when i say that i don't actually mean um lambic style beer or, or method traditional um i'm actually probably more excited about the sort of um, shorter turnaround mixed fermentation farmhouse ale kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of 
um, newer, younger breweries who are um, they're starting out with that stuff, and there's just a huge potential um, for just getting back to the way beer was made for a long time, where people kept a house mix culture and they really, really learned how it worked. And it was almost like, I mean, not a lot of breweries have their own strain anymore. It's like everyone uses, you know, your Chico and yeah. the same lager yeast or whatever. This is, um, I'm talking about people putting together a bunch of stuff that they love, learning how to use it, and then keeping that same culture for 10 years, 20 years, you know, whatever. To the point where it, like, becomes its own thing. Like a new school terroir, not in the sense yeah. of where they live, but how sure. they've... How they've let it evolve or, and what they've of, done with it. Of, of yeast and bacteria that grows and changes over time. And and we get to all go on that ride with them. Um, I mean, we could wind up with new strains out of that. I mean, we've been all using the same strains forever. Like, there's there's stuff going on right now where if everyone sticks to their guns and keeps repitching the same mixed culture, it's going to mutate and it's going to acclimate to their environment. And then you're really going to have something almost like terroir. And, and, and that's what I was going to say. It's almost like a mixture of terroir and what happened with the hop culture where the, all these kind of new hops are coming to the front. And there's all these, uh, you know, the way the hops show themselves nowadays is infinitely different than it was eight years ago. Sure, you know what yeah. I mean? Just from, you know, the way they've kind of grown hops, the way they've grown weed with, you know what I mean? Just kind of just crossbreeding and doing all that kind of stuff. Is that where you kind of see something going? Like yeast being a thing that becomes more I think yeast is, yeast is getting way more important. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, yeast was uh, sort of taken for granted, I think, for far, far too long. And I think that um, biodiversity is becoming very important right now, just as a trend. And I think it's a wonderful thing because it means more variety for everyone. Um, and it means that we're going to learn a lot more that we lost about um, the way yeast and bacteria interact. Um, we don't have great scientific literature about what was going on in like even the 1700s. So for us to all go and say like, hey, we're going to like, we're going to go out there and stick our necks out and do these mixed fermentation things. At some point, someone's going to start looking, and I know some are, at what's actually going on. And I think we're going to learn more about the, the symbiosis of these cultures and um, how they interact and how they can be manipulated with different substrates. And I think it's very exciting. This is almost pornographic, man. And we're going to have to put <laughs> an we're gonna have to put an, yeah you're going to have to put an XXX on this. Uh, make sure you know no youngins stumble upon it. Um, does any of your beer leave here uh, besides bottles? leave here meaning what like uh, six stoles kegs anything like that leave yeah so um we occasionally send kegs out um when we can um we unfortunately make very little of them and there there is um somewhat of a local demand um but uh the tasting room has been relatively busy recently and um I just I can't send a lot out. So the we do make a lot of bottles though, and the bottles probably get a lot further in the world than the draft does. Um, so we do have a couple places around town that we are sending bottles somewhat regularly. Um, bottle Bar East uh, on Frankfurt Avenue, um, local 44 bottle shop um, at 44th and Spruce, um, and Bella Vista Beverage in South Philly. Okay. Um- and how do people find you? Like, as far as, like, what do you do? Is you just strictly Instagram? Like, what do you do? Like, Yeah, so the best way to check us out is probably Instagram. Um, everything from Instagram gets republished to Facebook, so we're there, too. But you're, you'll respond more on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, I'd say response rate is probably better on Facebook. Um, Instagram's um, way of managing messages isn't great. Okay. Um, comments, comments are a great way. Uh, yeah. DMs kind of stink. <laughs> um, but uh, also we do have a website it's updated relatively frequently and there's a direct email link on there and like as far as the like open and close thing is it just when the beer's ready you open when you have it you're open or is it a, um, or we're, is it we're a... open when our schedules permit okay yeah it's, um, it's, Saturdays, guys... Saturdays 2 to 8 are always 
Um, but weekday schedule, we can really only muster one day a week. Um, we don't have enough beer to do more than that. And I move it around to just try to make sure my friends can get here, really. <laughs> I love it, dude. I'm not going to lie. I love it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, dude, I appreciate the conversation, man. Yeah, it's man. It's pretty fucking fun. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have to come back because I think there's a bit more deep dive, and we get a little bit more nerdy and, and kind of. <laughs> maybe I'll come down and uh, make sure that we're a little bit sauced before we do the next one. And I would so love shit, that. So shit gets a, uh, she gets what do they what do the kids call it? Real lit lit, <laughs> lit? fire or something like that. Fire? I don't, I don't something, know. Yeah, something like that. The reels. There's an emoji in there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, and there's 19 emojis with some kind of weird condom challenge. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, I think that's it. There's no hours to be talked about. There's no um, there's no kind of find our beer here except for bottle shops. And that's pretty much it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the conversation. Check out Fermentary Form. Fermentary Form, sorry. Uh, I always want to say Fermentary. I don't know why. You say um, it however you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan Tripp, thank you very much. Uh, You're very much welcome. Next time we'll actually do this, we'll get into our kind of love of weird electronic music and all those kind of things. That would be great. And, uh, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, reach out to these guys. Stop by. Have a beer. Chug some stuff because it's pretty fucking fantastic, to be perfectly honest with you. Especially if you like these kind of things. And if you're listening to this, hopefully you guys enjoyed. And, uh, see you next time. Cheers.